And I'd like to start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you and for your goodness, your faithfulness to us, God. We, I pray that today, God, the word would go out. Um, it would strengthen, it would encourage, it would inspire. I pray I could get out of the way, Father. Help me to teach accurately. Help me to teach well. And uh, Father, I pray this would be a great encouragement to the saints here. Uh, Father, we, this is such an important topic. God, I pray that um, we could grasp, hold, take hold of it, and it would really change us. We love you and pray your blessing upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. I appreciate Brother Joseph reading uh, Philippians 3, because Paul talks about pressing on towards the goal. And this is a, a similar theme in Paul's writings, is that we haven't attained it. We're, we're trying to get there. And ultimately, the goal is the promised land, right? It's, it's getting to, to be with God forever and finishing our life faithful to God. And in, Philippians, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul, at the end of chapter 9, says something really interesting. He compares our walk as Christians to several things. He first compares it to a race. We don't run aimlessly. We don't just go out for a nice little jog. We run as if we're going to try to win the prize. We're focused. We're determined. We're running with all our heart, with all our might. He compares it to a fight. As Christians, I praise God, we don't fight. <laughs> but Paul uses fighting as an example. And in fighting, you don't beat the air. If you saw two fighters just beating the air, you would laugh. What is that? That's nothing. But a true fighter lands his punches into the body of his opponent. He either gets beat up or he beats up. He's either going to lose or he's going to win. And Paul says that's how we fight the Christian race. We, we run the Christian race. We, that's how we live the Christian life. And in verse 9, at the, very, at the very end of this passage, in verse 27, he says, I discipline my body and bring it into, into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. This is crazy. This is Apostle Paul, the church builder, the preacher, the guy who baptized and built churches all over. He's saying, I'm worried that I myself might get disqualified from the race. That I myself might, may not make it to the end. That, to me, is very humbling. <laughs> if Paul can't make it to the end, is there hope for any of us? He then goes on in chapter 10, and I want to read this verse. We're going to just go through this briefly, but he references an Old Testament passage of the Exodus, the Israel coming out of, the ex out, of, out of Egypt, and he says, this is an example for you as you run the race. Let's read it in verse 10, chapter 10. Moreover, moreover brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and did not become idolaters as some of them were. 
As it, was, it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them are also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let me stop right there, actually. So Paul is going back to the Exodus. He's saying the Israelites were baptized through the sea. They went through these two walls of water, right? They went through the water, and they got through and they escaped. And they were baptized into Christ, he says. They were led by the cloud, okay, led by the cloud, and they ate the spiritual drink and the spiritual food. He's saying here, this is example for you Christians in the church in Corinth. This is for you. You were baptized into your faith. Your sins were forgiven. You went through the water, right? You were led by the cloud, the Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit. And now you're, in the, and you're drinking the food, the communion, the, the bread, the wine. And you celebrate that. But now you're wandering through the desert just like them. And guess what? It's really hard going through the desert to get to the promised land. It's really hard. In fact, most of them didn't make it. How many of the adults made it? You guys remember? See some fingers. Two. Two adults of the whole group. If this group went through, if we were the Israelites, it'd be everyone under age 20. If you're under age 20, raise your hand. Okay? And only two of the adults. That's pretty sobering. <laughs> Very sobering. And he's saying, look, you can't fall into the same sins that they fell into. They fell into idolatry. Their hearts were lured away from God. They fell into sexual immorality. And 23,000 were killed. They tested God. They said, this is not what we signed up for. If you read through that passage, we won't do it today, but... It was much more difficult than what they thought they had signed up for. And they did not like it. And they wanted God to show them some signs, to show them that he was still with them, even though he had said he would never leave them if they followed him. They tested God. And, and lastly, they grumbled. They grumbled. And it said the grumbling took more of their lives than any of the things else, any of the other sins. And Paul said that was written for our example. And I read that. I find it very, very sobering. In fact, almost discouraging. If they couldn't make it, if some of them didn't make it, how are we going to make it? But Paul doesn't stop there, thankfully. <laughs> Look at chapter 10 and verse 12. He gives us this great encouragement. He says in verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And look in verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with a temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And so Paul says there's a quality, there's an attribute of God, of his character, that's going to help you get through all the way to the end. And what is it? He it says it's his faithfulness. God's faithfulness. 
will help will help us, help the Corinthian church, but help us get all the way to the end. So what I want to look at today is God's faithfulness and why this one quality, if we can get it, in some ways it's simple, it's, it's also quite profound. If we can get this one thing, it's ext- it'll be extremely powerful. It could change your life. It could change your walk with God. So let's, let's jump in and look at what the Bible says about what it means to be faithful in God's faithfulness. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. Moses is writing to Israel, and he's reminding them about God. And look what he says about him in verse 6. He says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God chose you to be a people for himself, special above all the nations on the face of the earth. The Lord did not prefer nor choose you because you are more in number than all the nations, for you are the least of all the nations, but because God, the Lord, loves you, and because he would keep the oath he swore to your fathers. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know the Lord your God, this God, is a faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with those who hate him. He will repay them to their face. Therefore, keep the commandments. You shall keep the commandments, the ordinances and these judgments I command you for today to do them. So Moses is reminding the people about God. And what does he say about God? He says that God is faithful. He's faithful to the promises he had given their fathers. Remember Abraham? He gave, he gave a promise about your descendants. How many would there be? Like the sand on the seashore, right? There'd be all these descendants. And Abraham believed it. And guess what? It happened. God did it. He fulfilled his promise. Turn over to Psalm 145. Sometimes it's helpful, we have Bible words like faithful or whatever, to look at other words in the Bible where it uses that word, whether it refers to God or to men. So I want to look at a couple passages that use this word, pistos, which is the Greek word for faithful, and it uses it in in the Greek Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And so let's get a more sense of what does this word faithful, faithfulness mean. And in Psalm 145, and this I'm reading from the Septuagint. This might be 146 in some of your Bibles. Or it might be in 144 in your Bibles. This is 144 in the Septuagint. So Psalm 144, verse 10, or 145. O Lord, let all your works praise you, and your holy ones bless you. They shall tell of your kingdom's glory. They shall speak of your power, that all the sons of men may know your power and the glory of your kingdom's magnificence. Your kingdom is a kingdom of all the ages, and your dominion is from generation to generation. The Lord is faithful in his words and holy in all his works. What does that mean? The Lord is faithful in his words. Well, it means he, he, he means what he says. When he says something, he means it. He's going he's gonna to follow through with it. He's going to do it. I have a twin brother. 
when we were about six to eight, maybe around Tendo's age, we started fighting in the back car, back seat of the car. And we were wrestling, and my father said, please don't do that. And we kept doing it. He kept driving, and he said, please don't do that. And we kept doing it. Then he said, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to let you, drop you off and make you walk home. We didn't think he would really. We were in the middle of nowhere. He would never leave us little kids in the middle of nowhere and drive off. We kept doing it. We didn't really take him at his word. Guess what he did? He stopped the car. He went in the back. He opened the door. He said, get out. And we get out. And he drove away. <laughs> we realized that he meant what he said. Now, I'm very grateful. He turned around and picked us up. But we got the message. We were very good on all the way the rest of the way home. My dad meant what he said. God means what he said. When he says something in the word, in his word, he will always follow through with it. Look over in Proverbs 11. Here's a couple places where this word faithfulness is used referring to people. But it's the same word as used to describe God. So let's, let's try to figure out what is... What does the Bible teach us about what it means to be faithful? In chapter 11, in verse 11, it says, A double-tongued man reveals deliberations heard in counsel. But a man faithful in spirit conceals matters. Okay, what does that mean? So, a double-tongued man, he's, he's one that basically hears something that's said in a secret group, in a group that comes together for a special purpose. He goes away and tells everybody about it. The writer Solomon contrasts it with a faithful man who conceals the matter. You know, I know as a Christian, it's hard. And I'm really grateful there are brothers in my life who I can go and share my heart with them. Share my, my, my darkest secrets, my, my sin, my challenges, my weaknesses. And I know that I can share those and it will be held in confidence. And they will give me good wisdom and good guidance, but those things won't be told. And because of that, I know I can share what's on my heart. I trust those brothers. But if you have a friend, you know that they're a gossip, would you ever share anything important to them? No, you'd say, hello, nice to see you. And you would walk on by. That's not someone you want to talk with. You want to share your life with. The faithful brother and the unfaithful person, completely different situation. Let's go to Proverbs 14.5. Look at this one. It says, a faithful witness does not lie. But an unrighteous witness kindles lies. Whoa. Okay. So a faithful person who sees something wrong that's been done, they will never tell a lie. They will tell the truth what happened. But the unrighteous person just circulates lies. One tells the truth and you can trust. One doesn't tell the truth and you can't trust them. You treat those people totally different. I'm a lawyer. If I went to court, which I'm glad I don't have to go to court, I don't do court work, but if I put someone on the stand, I want a truthful witness. Someone's going to tell the truth when asked because I would trust that person. Let's look over in Proverbs 25. 
Verse 15. It says, as the falling of snow in harvest, this might be hard to relate to here, um, is beneficial against the heat, so a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he benefits the souls of those who use him. So the faithful messenger, what's, what's a faithful messenger? Well, a faithful messenger is someone tells you something, and you're the messenger. You would go to the far land, right? And you would tell them exactly what the person told you to tell them, right? So my wife wanted to send you guys all a message. And she said, give them all hugs and tell them I love them. Now, if I came back and told you a different message, I would not be a faithful messenger. But if I were a faithful messenger, which I hope I've done well, I'm a blessing to my wife. Hopefully I'm a blessing to you too, but I'm a blessing to my wife because she knows I did exactly what I was asked to do. Faithfulness. One you can trust, one you cannot. Numbers 12. They're all the same words. To describe God. Okay, so this is picking up where the people are not super happy with Moses. He doesn't, they don't like who he married. He married an Ethiopian. And they're not pleased with that. So they're grumbling against him. And God is not very happy. God comes down, verse 5 in chapter 12, he says, Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood upon the door of the tabernacle of testimony. And he called Aaron and Miriam, and both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. Should a prophet of yours belong to the Lord, I would make myself known to him in a vision. I would speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even in visible form, and not in obscure sayings, and he saw the Lord's glory. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the Lord's anger was aroused against him, and he departed. So he says, hey, your prophets, you know, they get these visions and these dreams, but Moses was, what was the quality of Moses? It was faithfulness to God. He was so faithful that God said, I'll speak to him directly. I'll speak to him face to face. Moses' faithfulness would distinguish him. He said, listen to Moses, people. He's my faithful servant. This passage is referenced in Hebrews. Let's go over it. I know we're hitting a lot of scriptures here, but it's all on the same theme. Let's go over to Hebrews 3, verse 1. The Hebrew, ref- Hebrew writer references Moses, this very passage. He says in chapter 3, in verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one was, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house was much, has much more honor than the house. For every house, built, house is built by someone, but he who has built all things is God. And, indeed, in, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which should be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we are hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So what is he saying? He's saying, yeah, Moses, he was faithful. He, the Israelites need to listen to him. But Christ, he is more faithful than Moses. You need to listen. He is our faithful high priest. He is the one 
we need to trust. He needs the one we need to listen to and take at his word. We need to pay close attention to what Jesus has to say. Jesus was God. He was the Son of God. Our little group, we're studying out the attributes of God. We're taking Wednesdays and we're looking at different attributes of God. What is an attribute of God? Well, it's kind of like a quality or a character of God, of God's nature. What's different, though, is that a quality or nature for a person might be something we try to put on. So you might say, um, boy, that brother, he's a faithful, he's a, a loving brother. Actually, let me use my example. Example of myself. Um, I just, God made me as a joyful person. So then people might say, he is a really joyful brother. He brings a, he's a really joyful guy. And that's great. God made me that way. If I'm in the spirit, I am that way. The problem is, I'm not always that way. If you get me in the wrong day, I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm discouraged. I'm down. If someone sinned against me, I don't always respond well to that. So depending on the, the day you get me, I'm going to be down, discouraged, or unhappy. I'm not going to be joyful. God attributes never change. They're not what he, he does. It's who he is. So we say God is love. It's not like God puts on love and sometimes is loving and sometimes is more loving, less loving. He's always loving. He's full of love all the time. When we say God is faithful, he's not sometimes faithful. He go, his faithfulness goes up and down. He's faithful in his very nature. That's who he is. I think if we can grasp this, it can radically change how we live our lives and our confidence we have in who God is. We can look in the Old Testament and see examples and the New Testament. But I love the Old Testament because we see examples of these things lived out for our benefit, to teach us. Of men and women in Scripture who understood, in this case, God's faithfulness. We also see examples of people who didn't and what that brought about in their own lives. In Genesis 2, Satan, God went to Adam and Eve and he said, look, here's the fruit. You can take anything you want, but don't eat the fruit. What did Satan say? He said, come to Eve and says, did God really say that? Did God really mean what he said? Satan's trying to undo our confidence in God's faithfulness. What he said, he means. What he said he's going to do, he's going to do. And he's going to come through exactly what he said he would do. Israel in the desert. God said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be faithful to you. And yet what they do? <laughs> they turn away to other gods. They start grumbling about the food. They don't like the leader. They don't like, they want to go back. They don't like the plan. It's not, it's not what they expected. They doubted God's faithfulness. Imagine if they hadn't. When things got tough in the desert, imagine if they had gone to, think about that, you're in a desert and you have no food and you have no water. What would a faithful response be in God's faithfulness? Instead of grumbling, complaining, what would they say? They said, maybe they would have said, 
God, we are really hungry. We have no food. We know we had at least food in Egypt, but we know you let us out. And we know that was good. We don't know where the food's going to come from, but we are really hungry. <laughs> would you please, would you please, God, give us food? Wouldn't that have been an awesome prayer? Wouldn't God have just loved that? I think if we had looked at any of those four sins, if Israel had seen as God is faithful, it would have been very, very different. At least their failure, Paul says, was written for our benefit, that we might learn from them and be different. I'm more inspired by those who were faithful. Think of Noah. Noah's told it's going to rain. Build an ark. And he's like, what's rain and what's an ark? <laughs> he has no idea what this is about. Yet God says, you need to do this. And Noah took him at his word. It's going to rain, whatever that is, and i got to build this ark. And he was a laughingstock. But he took God at his word and made no sense. It was ridiculous what he was doing. He built the ark. It rained. And if he hadn't been faithful, his family would have been lost. And there would have been no seed for Jesus. He was faithful. Abraham. Abraham is told that your seed, out of your seed, will become the blessing for all nations. And out of your seed is going to be, it's going to become as numerous as the sand in the sea. He's finally given one son, and he's told to kill him. That makes no sense. That, that is ridiculous. And yet, Abraham took God at his word, he believed him, and he acted on it. He was ready. Now, he was wrong. He actually thought God would raise him from the dead. That's okay. He was faithful. He knew God would be faithful, and God rescued his son in a different way. How inspiring is that? I love that. How God used these men. Jeremiah. He tells the Israelites, you guys, you've sinned. It's going to be 70 years. What are the false prophets saying? It's not going to be 70 years. Jeremiah's saying, go build some houses. It's going to be 70 years. False prophets, no, it's not going to be that long. Guess what? It was 70 years. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. 70 years. He did it. Joseph. Joseph, at the end of his life, said, God is going to bring us back. And when he does, bring my bones. That's just weird. I mean, how would he know that? Because he believed, he, God had told him. And, he, and he, he believed what God had said. And so he told his sons, make sure you bring my bones. I'm sure they had to tell their sons and their sons and their sons. But he took God at his word that God was faithful and would do what he said. Perhaps the greatest prophecy in the Bible, one of the greatest, is in 2 Samuel 7. We won't turn there. But that's where Solomon, the prophecy that God would place a descendant of, of David on the throne. And it was fulfilled in Luke 2 in Jesus. It's an amazing prophecy. So many years before it happened. And God was faithful. He did exactly what he said he was going to do in Luke 2 when Jesus came and was born. We could go on and on. You can pick your favorite story in the Old Testament. You can see, if you look at the people, did they take God at his word or did they not? 
And those who did, just it's so inspiring. So encouraging. You know, we have this expression, we need to trust God. Just need to trust God. You know what? We do need to trust God. I think trust God, though, for me, so it's going to be this feeling. Do I feel happy? Do I feel encouraged? Do I know God's going to do it? And we're on the same team and all this stuff. But really, trusting God is taking him at his word. That he is faithful. He's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Uh, what he said he would do. He's trustworthy. He's, he's faithful. He'll keep his promises. And we are to act accordingly. Okay, so how does this help us practically? God's faithfulness. How do we, what do we do with this? Well, I think that we have to look at the promises in the scriptures. And I think there's probably different ways of categorizing them. But here's one way I do it. It has been helpful for me in the last few weeks. I think of the promises, either they're just a promise that God made to somebody... And it came true. But it has nothing to do with me. Okay? So when God said in 2 Samuel, I'm going to put my son on the throne, he did it. It really doesn't affect my life. I mean, it affects my life because it was Jesus came. But it just happened. And it gives me great faith that God will do what he said he was going to do. There are lots of, there's lots of um, scriptures in the, in the Bible where we can see God fulfilling what he said. And I think can build our confidence that he did what he said, he will continue to do what he says. And those are really encouraging. The other kind is where there's just a promise. And it's something's going to happen, and um, let's, actually, let's, let's look at what. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10. I'll give you some specifics. Now, I want to just look at a couple examples um, to make it practical. And I just picked these as some that meant something to me, but you can go to any New Testament book and find things that God says that you can kind of run this exercise on. So, 1 Corinthians 10, this is where we started, down in verse 12, in verse 13, Paul, going back to what Paul had said, he said, the race is hard, right? There's going to be all these temptations that come your way, all these ways that get you off, off track, and get you to sin against God, sin against others, to, to, to not make it to the very end. But he says in verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So, so what's the promise there? What, what can I take God at his word? Well, this is really encouraging. This says that no matter what situation I'm in, what temptation I encounter, he has a way out for me. So, I'm on the plane coming to Uganda. And I'm like, the TV is going off. There's just so much trash. I don't want to see these movies. I don't want to see this stuff. Because most of the stuff that come, a lot of stuff comes on is not stuff that I feel like God wants me to watch. So, I turn that thing off. Well, guess what? At the very end of the flight, all the monitors come on. Because they want to do a promo on how awesome Africa is. Which I think Africa is awesome. But it's a different kind of awesome maybe we think. And I, they had scenes of beaches and women and swimsuits. And like, <laughs> wait. I, turned, I, I wasn't looking for this. 
And the temptation, boom, it's right there. Well, guess what? There was a way off. I couldn't turn the off button because it wouldn't let you. I just closed my eyes. <laughs> that was my way out. God provided a way out. You know, there are times we had a hard year. And the fellowship we came out of, it was very challenging. I found myself at times feeling very angry and bitter towards other brothers, which is sin. It's wrong. And what I started doing is every time I feel that, I would just, the way out for me, I found the way out. It was to pray blessings of God on their life. That they would see God's word, they would re- receive God's wisdom, that God would bless their children. And I would do that. And can you imagine Satan? <laughs> Every time he sends that dart, and he realizes that I'm just praying for these people. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like the darts just stop coming because he doesn't want to mess with that. I'm returning a blow with a blow. And that was my way out for that sin. I found it very, very helpful. You know, Job, the Bible says Job was so righteous that God was like, Satan, go for it. Bring it on. Here's my son Job. Righteous Job. Have Adam. Because he is so righteous, I believe he will be faithful to me no matter what you send him. Now, we, when we get tempted, I think we should just consider it a blessing. <laughs> when we're struggling and we, we are challenged to be discouraged, to be down, to be faithless, to give up, to lash out, man, God is just considering me worthy. <laughs> just like Job, righteous Job. Because he knows that I can stand up with it. He's going to provide that way out. I find that really encouraging. Go to 1 John 1. Here's another one. That, that first, we just look, well, that's a promise that we can count on, that it will always be true, that God will provide a way out. It has nothing to do with really what we do or don't do. It's there whether we take it or not. Here's one that's a conditional promise. We have these promises that are just true. Then we have these conditional promises. We actually have a part to play in it. Look at 1 John. I know you guys are studying 1 John and 2 John. Um, this is a really encouraging verse in, in cha- verse 9 in chapter 1 of 1 John. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? So we learn here that God is faithful, right? He'll forgive our sins, he'll cleanse us. Well, that's really good news. There's one thing, though. There's a condition on it, right? We have to conf- it says we have to confess our sins. Then he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have a part, a role to play in that. And God will be faithful if we play our part. Look over in 1 Peter. Just look a couple at 1 Peter and we'll close out. Okay, let's look at 1 Peter 1.24. So here's just a promise with no condition on it. When God, he's, God's word is saying something, we just have to take it at its word. Look at verse 24 in 1 Peter. He's quoting, I believe, the Psalms. It says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. 
The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Okay, there's a couple things there I can take away that I find very helpful and maybe a little sobering, taking God as word, that God is faithful. He means what he says. The first one is all flesh is grass and it fades away. You know, I had a very humbling moment today. I was at the market, my first time at the market, and I had a bunch of food, and Elizabeth and I went together. We got all this food, and we're walking out, and she says, Daddy, can I help you with that bag? <laughs> now, I used to carry her in my arms. <laughs> I went through a long time where my health was really, really bad, and I, could, I, could, I had two or three hours of energy a day, and it was very humbling. My body was fading away, and I wasn't sure if I'd ever get through that. And God has restored me. I'm so grateful. It was very humbling. But one thing I realized was that, you know what? I'm only in my 40s. My body is, seems to be fading away. But you know what? If I get through this, amen. If I don't, amen. This is when I kind of got to a place that was much better than where I started. Um, but I thought, you know what? All of our bodies are going to eventually fade away. And I'm just learning it a little bit earlier. And that was really helpful. We're all going to go tired. We're all going to go weary. And, and yet, God is faithful. And that's, but that's going to happen. And I think that was just a good thing for me to grasp. When I see people who are young and strong and running and beautiful and doing all these great things, I, I say, praise God. That's awesome. But you know what? Someday they're going to be just like me. <laughs> or when I get older. And we're all going to be there eventually. And that's a good reminder. But look at verse 120, chapter 1, verse 25. It says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord stands forever. It will never fade away. It's always going to be there. God's always going to come through. He's going to keep his promises. It's going to endure forever. Look over at chapter, chapter 3. This is, a, this is a humbling one for a husband. But it's an encouraging one, too. In chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, husbands likewise, dwell with them, this is your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. I kind of read this as a promise. That basically, it's a command, first of all, that I'm supposed to treat my wife with understanding, giving her special honor. That we're heirs together walking through life. What a beautiful picture. The promise, though, is if I'm not doing that, my prayers are going to be hindered. Now, I love my wife. I want to love her just because I love her, because God loves her. I also really don't want my prayers to be hindered. Um, that's a very scary passage for a husband, that God would not listen to our prayers because of how we're treating and respecting and honoring our wife. Yet look down in verse 8. It says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Then he goes on and says, verse 10, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To me, this is really encouraging. This says, if I take God at his word, that he is faithful. He means what he says. He will do what he promises. It says here, if I strive to live a righteous life, to love my enemies, to to return blessing for evil for blessing, that I would restrain from evil talk, from deceit, if I strive for these things, God will hear my prayers. His eyes are open to me, and he's going to hear my prayers and answer them. Whoa, that's incredible. That what I pray, he will hear and he will answer if I strive to live with righteousness. And the last one I want to look at. Oh, no, yeah, maybe two more. Uh, 1 Peter 4. Let's go. Again, I just picked a few in Peter, which I think were really encouraging. But let's look at chapter 4 and verse 12. This, this is really, really encouraging. God is faithful. Look at verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Isn't that amazing? What does God's word say? He says, as Christians, fiery trials will come upon us. Challenges, hardships. To get us off this journey to the promised land, to get to the very end. Fiery trials We can return with anger and sin like the Israelites did. But here he says, no, first of all, don't be surprised. These things are going to happen. I don't really like that. (laughs) I wish the Christian life was really easy. I wish once I signed up, whoa, just blessing after blessing. Money, career, great wife, a great happy family. Everything would be going great. God just loves me. It doesn't say that at all. Paul is actually, Peter is actually saying, if you're going to be a real Christian, a real Christian, you're going to face trials and temptations and they're going to be fiery and difficult and hard. Don't be surprised. But then in verse 13 he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. If we respond as Christ did, who suffered, would it be fair if Christ suffered and we didn't have to follow in his footsteps to suffer with him? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But when we walk in his footsteps, when we suffer with him and respond to trials as he did, it says that one day, it says when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. That someday, the last day, when we see him face to face, I'm not sure. But eventually, we are going to have exceeding joy. We're going to look back at our trials and our sufferings. We're going to say, praise God. I got through that. God loves me. I got through to the end. I'm with God forever. I learned so much from my suffering. 
when I had chronic fatigue and I was down for like eight years, praise God, it humbled me. It taught me to pray. It taught me to look to God more deeply. I praise God. And I'll praise Him then for my sufferings because I'll have made it to the end. I pray I can make it to the end. I want to be confident I can because there's always a way out. I find great encouragement in this. There's so many more. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. <laughs> it's a promise. It happened every time. I walk out, I feel great about something I did, feel good about myself. Ah, I'm being proud. I hate that. I'm also fearful because I don't want God resisting me. <laughs> That's bad. We do not want God resisting us. But he gives his favor to the humble. Can we stay in that humble spot through our lives? Can we keep putting ourselves down, down, humble, humble, humble to others, to God? He'll give us his favor through our whole walk. Praise God. Look in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may, he may exalt you in due time. He decides when we get exalted. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God keeps his promises. He's faithful. He cares for us. He loves us. So there's just a few passages. Um, these are really encouraging passages for me. This idea that God is faithful. He's not like that false messenger. He's not like the, the unfaithful person who reveals confidences. He's not like that. He is faithful in his character. He means what he says. He'll do what he does. We can look to the Old Testament and see it happen over and over and over and over. And it will happen in the New Testament as well. Either we can just take him as word for these promises, but if these conditional promises, we should take a sharp look at the scriptures when we're studying. What part do I have to play to make sure that God can be faithful the way he wants to be and fulfill his promise? Amen.